How does an urban legend pass from being a fun campsite story to becoming a bona fide threat to people and property? Can a desire to confirm a supernatural legend interfere with a basic sense of decorum? Would you be willing to throw respect for the dead and the living out the window in order to experience a fleeting moment of the supernatural? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who loves to visit old cemeteries, but not at night. It's nothing supernatural I'm afraid of. It's the people who I might run into there. This week, we'll look at a legend almost two centuries in the making that may not have brought the devil to a small town in Kansas, but sure as hell brought out the devil in people who visited. My own personal experience with Kansas is limited to watching The Wizard of Oz umpteen times, passing through it asleep while driving cross-country, and performing and teaching in a festival at the William Inge Center for the Arts, and having to be evacuated to the basement mid-show because of a tornado warning. Other than Dorothy and those tornadoes, though, I don't hear much about Kansas. But there is one town in Kansas that has had way more publicity than they could ever want and more unwelcome visitors than they could ever know what to do with. Deer Creek, Kansas was settled in 1857, mostly by Pennsylvania Dutch and German immigrants fleeing religious persecution and compulsory military duty. One of the very first things the people of Deer Creek did was establish a church. It's a real pattern with people fleeing religious persecution. Find a place to settle and start worshiping God the way that makes you happiest. And of course, along with the church, they would need a place to bury their dead. Because if there's two things that are certain in life, it's religious persecution and death. By 1867, after spending the first eight years of the town's existence worshiping in each other's homes and in the local schoolhouse, the residents of Deer Creek raised $2,000 to erect an official church called Evangelical Emanuel Church, or the German Church. According to the spring 1990 edition of the Lecompton Historical Society newsletter, quote, A rock wall surrounds the church, and along this wall, hitching posts were provided for horses and teams. The oldest section of the cemetery is at the bottom of the hill under a huge scotch pine tree. The tree is over 100 years old, and it is believed to be the oldest specimen of its kind in the state. The trunk is 12 feet, 5 inches in circumference. At one time, a small tombstone was embedded in the base of the trunk. End quote. In 1889, the town was renamed Stull after their new postmaster, Sylvester Stull. People apparently liked getting mail so much they named their town after the guy in charge of getting it to them. By 1922, so many people were worshipping at the German church that it was time to expand. The original building was abandoned to make way for a new building at a different location. And by 1952, the cemetery was expanded to its present size of about three acres. The town chugged along quietly for another quarter of a decade without any fanfare. The broken promise of a train line going through Stull made the town no more than a blip on the map between Topeka and Lawrence. All in all, it was a small town, like any other small town, complete with its own history and legends. After all, any town with a creepy, abandoned, falling-down ancient church in its cemetery is bound to have some ghost stories to go along with it. 
1974, the editor of the student paper The Daily Kansan at the University of Kansas had heard the rumors swirling around the town of Stull and assigned the story to student journalist Jane Penner. Unfortunately, the article itself is no longer anywhere to be found, but we can only assume, after all that happened since, that Jane Penner was one hell of a writer. The article was summarized in a 2017 book by Paul Thomas called Haunted Lawrence, all about that area of Kansas, which apparently is spooky enough to fill a 144-page book. The article in the Daily Kansan, titled Legend of Devil Haunts Tiny Town, was published on November 5th, 1974. Penner, it seemed, had tracked down the rumors and found that not only was there a bit of spooky local lore hanging over the town of Stull, but, according to Paul Thomas, Penner had discovered that Stull was, in fact, one of the most abominable locations on the planet. On the planet, folks. Forget Siberia, or the Playboy Mansion, or your high school cafeteria. Stull, Kansas was the fucking worst. It's hard to know where Penner got her information, but the claims she makes in the article are a lot. According to Thomas, Penner wrote that, quote, Stull was supposedly one of the seven gateways to hell, and concealed somewhere in the cemetery was an incredibly well-hidden staircase, fastened with a seal. If one were unlucky enough to access these steps, time would begin to move at a supernatural rate. Following these steps would lead one directly to hell. The location of these steps differed depending on who was telling the story. Some claimed that they were near or behind the chapel, whereas others argued that they were within the retaining wall of Geneva Stull's burial plot. End quote. According to the now defunct blog Ghoul's Trip, quote, a hidden staircase would appear from the ground outside of the church, and Satan himself would use it to ascend into our world, rousing the spirits of Stull Cemetery to raise from their graves for a night of unholy pleasure. It is said that anyone who is successful in finding this hidden staircase will be dragged down to hell by unseen forces. They will either not return, or if they fight hard enough, they might manage to pull their way back up the stairs, but this can take days, sometimes even weeks, end quote. As far as I can tell, no one ever came forward to say that they had encountered these steps and used them to get to hell, but Lord knows urban folklore never relies on actual experience or witness testimony. A simple, it is said, is enough to keep legends going. Penner did, however, find a couple of people to quote for her story, and their accounts left plenty of fodder for Kansans and curious conspirators everywhere to chew on. In her article that stamped Stull as the American Midwest's portal into the underworld, Penner got some scattershot firsthand input. Like from the university's assistant instructor of Western civilization, Rick Walker, who said he'd heard that visitors to the town of Stull would experience three to four hour lapses in memory. Freshman Julie Day claimed that she and her grandmother had visited the cemetery and saw a burning house that, when they went in to inspect it closer, wasn't on fire at all. And one anonymous student said... We decided to visit Stull to find some excitement. It was a beautiful night out, but as soon as we got to Stull, it started raining. We sat in the car for a few minutes, then it stopped just as suddenly as it started. It was weird. 
After a while, the students took a walk through the cemetery when... All of a sudden, I heard a noise behind me and felt someone grab my arm. I'll never forget how cold the fingers felt. But, the student said, when he turned around, both his friends were at least 25 yards behind him. There was no way that the cold fingers belonged to either of them. Among some other claims about the goings-on in the Stull Cemetery, Penner wrote that if you threw a bottle marked with an inverted cross against the wall of the church, it wouldn't break. If it did break, though, that was a real bad omen, and the thrower would soon die. This seems like an oddly specific practice to me. Like, who was it that was compelled to throw a bottle emblazoned with an upside-down cross at the wall of a church? Bottle throwing has college student written all over it. Dollars to donuts, it was a Jaeger bottle. Also, this suggests that there was at least one broken bottle, followed by a death. When there is an actual body count, you'd think there would be more hard evidence to support these ideas, but alas, no. Penner also claimed a crucifix bolted to the wall of the old abandoned church would turn itself right side up if anyone stepped inside the church at midnight. And despite the church having lost its roof in a storm, when it rained, it never rained inside the walls of the church. As Dana Carvey, as the church lady would have said, How convenient! (laughs) Another point of supernatural wonder, according to Paul Thomas, is that giant pine tree I mentioned earlier. The tree had grown into a nearby gravestone, splitting it in half. Locals apparently decided that this meant that either the tree had been used in ye olden times to hang witches, or worse, that the married couple who shared the gravestone had practiced witchcraft. Ooh, maybe the married witch couple wanted a posthumous divorce. Never mind that trees have a tendency to swallow up whatever is in their path. There's a great photograph at the end of Berkeley Breathe's book, Red Ranger Came Calling, of an old bicycle embedded many yards up in the trunk of a tree. A gravestone is nothing to a giant old tree. She will take your gravestone and render it in two without a thought. Literally. But the theory that witches had been hung on the grand old pine tree was just one of many theories as to why Stull was cursed with a portal to hell. Another theory is that the original settlers of the town were practitioners of the occult and that the erection of the German church was done in penance for their former wicked ways, which would really suck if it were true. Like, even if the settlers had been devil worshippers, it seems to me that building a church and then expanding it because of a healthy and growing congregation should be enough to appease God. Like, what more do you need, buddy? Isn't the whole point of being saved to, you know, be saved? This is one of my problems with God as we know him. He just seems like a petty guy, you know? He doesn't forgive all that easily, even though, as far as I understand it, all you're really supposed to have to do is be like, Jesus died for my sins, and you get a golden ticket to heaven. So I don't know why he would insist on torturing these people who supposedly saw the error of their ways and erected an entire church in his name. Another origin story of the troubles that supposedly harangued the people of Stull was that in the early 1850s, a stable boy killed the mayor in the barn that would eventually become the site of the German church. 
But if you remember, the town wasn't even formed until 1857. There was no mayor for any stable boy to slaughter in the early 1850s. And, like, sure, Penner couldn't have just Googled that in 1974, but we did have these magic buildings back in the day called libraries, where one could find all sorts of useful information. For example, that Stahl not only didn't have a mayor in the early 1850s, but that Stahl has literally never had a mayor. I'm no college paper editor, but it seems to me some basic fact-checking might have been in order. As for the devil and his stairway to and from hell, while some believed he came out to get his party on with spirits from the cemetery, another more colorful version, according to Penner and Thomas, goes like this. In the 1850s, the devil impregnated a witch to whom was born a horribly disfigured child. This baby lived to be no more than a few days old and was promptly buried in the town's cemetery. As a result, the devil returns twice a year to pay his respects to either his buried son or the buried witch who bore the child. It seems likely that a gravestone in the cemetery with the name Wittich engraved on it gave rise to this tale. Another variant of this story posits that the devil's child did not die, but rather assumed the form of a cat, a hellhound, or even a werewolf, and to this day prowls the cemetery on opportune nights. The blog ParanormalScholar.com tells the story this way. According to local lore, there once sat a grave with the epitaph Wittich engraved upon it. Side note, Wittich is not an epitaph. An epitaph would be, here lies a witch. Wittich is a name from Old English meaning forest or wide, so literally nothing having to do with witches. Of course, the eerie name on the tombstone wasn't enough. Again, not eerie. The blog continues... It's said the bones contained in the grave were that of Satan's own child. Conceived with a mortal witch, the child was born with horrible deformities and covered in thick, wolf-like hair. There is an actual condition called hypertrichosis, which causes hair growth all over the body, which is probably what this child was born with, if there actually was a real child at the center of this legend. Again, it has nothing to do with witchcraft, but it is a callous example of people demonizing and humiliating people with congenital conditions over which they have no control and which make them look different. Awesome. Anyway. And it is to the graves of the child and its mother that the devil visits each year when the portal opens. I love the idea that the devil is just a doting parent and partner taking a twice-annual trip from hell up to the cemetery in which his child and wife are buried. Really humanizes the guy, you know? It's funny, too, because you would think a witch and a werewolf would be down in the bad place anyway, and the devil wouldn't have to bother visiting their graves. Does the devil have to put in for personal time? Do they have to call in an attempt to cover his shift? I have a very fuzzy understanding of how hell works. I joke because that's what I do, because otherwise I would go to bed, pull the covers over my head, and never come out. But it turns out being in a town with a hellmouth in its cemetery is a real pain in the ass. After Jane Penner's article came out in the Daily Kansan, people started visiting Stull Cemetery to try to get a glimpse of the stairway to hell for themselves. 
1978, more than 150 people showed up on Halloween. And 10 years later, that number had grown to more than 500 people. By the time celebrities caught wind of the legend, the situation for the locals was out of control. In 1992, the band Urge Overkill released an album called Stull, featuring Stull Cemetery on its cover. The titular track references being buried in stone, but actually has nothing to do with the occult or the devil or anything overtly scary, as far as I could tell. It is, however, the quintessential early 90s grunge album and even includes their hit cover of the Neil Diamond song, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, made famous by Pulp Fiction. Turns out, Kurt Cobain was a fan of Urge Overkill, which makes perfect sense once you give them a listen. And in 1992, Kurt Cobain gave an interview to Monk Magazine in which he said, What's that place in Kansas? It's supposed to be a satanic place. There's a church. There's an old burned-out church there. It's in this really small town, not too far away from Lawrence, and all this weirdness keeps going on about it. Happened for years. A lot of people have seen ghosts. Urge Overkill put out an EP, Stull. That's what it's called. We went there one night. I swear to God, there is some kind of scary stuff going on. I just remember walking toward it, and it seemed to be getting further and further away. It was really pitch black. It's just, it just wasn't normal at all. And we felt this weird presence, this weird evil presence. We just ran back to the van. I love the idea of Kurt Cobain, who generally seemed pretty badass, visiting a cemetery and going, Let's get out of here! (laughs) There was a rumor that surfaced in 1993 that Pope John Paul II, after visiting Colorado for World Youth Day, instructed the pilot of his private jet to avoid flying over Kansas entirely because he didn't want to fly over unholy ground. This rumor came complete with claims that Time magazine had run an article about the holy flight diversion. But it turns out the rumor was just that. There was never an article in Time magazine about the Pope intentionally avoiding Kansas. Also, if Wikipedia's page listing haunted places in the U.S. is right, the Pope would have had to avoid pretty much the entire country if he didn't want to fly over unholy ground. And then, in 2013, for an interview for Complex magazine, Ariana Grande claimed to have visited Stull Cemetery after hearing the ghost stories. She said, We were in Kansas City a few weeks ago, and we went to this haunted castle, and we were so excited. The next night, we wanted to go to Stull Cemetery, which is known as one of the seven gates to hell on Earth. I felt this sick, overwhelming feeling of negativity over the whole car, and we smelled sulfur, which is a sign of a demon, and there was a fly in the car randomly, which is another sign of a demon. Yeah, girl. It's also a sign that there's a fly in your car. I was like, this is scary. Let's leave. I rolled down the window before we left and said, we apologize. We didn't mean to disrupt your peace. Then I took a picture, and there are three super distinct faces in the picture. They're faces of textbook demons. No, no, you don't say sorry for disrupting their peace and then take a picture. I deleted it. The next day, I tried to send the picture to my manager and it said, this file can't be sent. It's 666 megabytes. I'm not kidding. I used to have a folder called Demons that had pictures with all the scream cats in it, but then weird things started happening to me, so I deleted it. I hear you, sister. I used to have a folder called Proof My Butt Used to Be Higher Up 
but it just made me sad, so I deleted it. I was going to sleep about two weeks ago. I had just gotten off the phone, and as soon as I closed my eyes, I heard this really loud rumble right by my head. When I opened my eyes, it stopped immediately, but when I closed my eyes, it started again with whispers. Every time I closed my eyes, I started seeing these really disturbing images with, like, red shapes. Then I opened my eyes and got back on the phone and was like, I'm really scared. I don't want to go to bed tonight. And then I scooched over to the left side of my bed because that's where the best service is in my room. And there was this massive black matter. I don't know what it was. It was like a cloud of something black right next to me. I started crying. I was on the phone like, what do I do? What do I do? And they said, tell it to F off. I thought, I'm not going to do that. It's going to upset it, so I'm just going to chill and not feed into it because all it wants is fear. It feeds on fear. I watched it move to the front of my bed, and then I fell asleep on the phone. I woke up, and it was gone. What? You fell asleep with a black cloud demon or some shit standing right next to you? Girl, what sleep meds are you on, and can you get me some? I can't sleep if there might be a cockroach in the kitchen. Girl... I suppose it feels harmless for rock and pop stars to share their experiences of some tiny cemetery in some tiny town in the middle of the country, right? It's fun to make the hair on the backs of people's necks stand up, and it sure beats another story about getting kicked off the MTV Music Awards or appropriating yet another culture in your fashion choices. But what Kurt Cobain and Ariana Grande, and to a much larger extent Jane Penner, failed to consider when sharing these stories is the impact they might have on the people who actually have to live in the place being used as fodder to sell magazines. It's all well and good for Ariana Grande to be like, something spooky is happening over there. But then all she has to do is delete a folder, phone a friend, and go to sleep. The people in Stull, meanwhile, are left to deal with the fallout of hordes of Arianators, which is apparently what fans of Ariana Grande call themselves, showing up in their town to see the devil for themselves. According to the blog theclio.com, written by University of Kansas student Ripken Fraley, over the years, scores of college students have shown up in Stull on Halloween to catch the devil in the act. But, quote, soon found out that the devil wasn't going to visit and decided to make their own fun. Students pushed over tombstones and stole them for dorms. Students littered the cemetery with beer cans and vandalized the property. This caused the local community to fight back because their loved ones' graves were being destroyed. The local authorities started handing out fines for trespassing and erected a chain-link fence to deter the students from trespassing. End quote. Apparently, the Daily Kansan, probably in an act of contrition for starting this whole frenzy to begin with, published an article back in 1990 warning students about the fines and urging them to stay away from the cemetery, citing vandalism by the students as the real evil install. But that did little to stop the regular influx of idiot college students hell-bent on acting like assholes. On the day before Halloween of 1998, the people of Stull made the heartbreaking decision to cut down the ancient old pine tree in the cemetery. I guess the thought was that if the demon witch tree was gone, people would stop traipsing all over graves. I don't know. People make weird decisions under stress. In a 2004 piece on Lawrence.com, a site dedicated to the goings-on in and around Lawrence, Kansas, where Stull is located, 
Author Richard Gintout wrote about the townspeople's frustration and anger with the asshole college kids trampling into their town acting like, well, assholes. He wrote, quote, Their bitter sentiments stem from stolen gravestones, vandalism, and obnoxious thrill-seekers who use the myths as an excuse to grab a 12-pack and party stall-style. That first year, I tell you, it was terrible. 500 people standing on graves hoping that the devil would come up, said a woman who has been known to keep patrolling cops company and even chase out trespassers herself. One man wrote and said a relative of mine was a werewolf, and that really made me mad. This story about it being haunted just tears the guts out of people, a man said. I knew a man whose son was buried there. Some people came out there to have Halloween fun and they tipped over his son's tombstone. He found that out and he broke down and just cried like a baby, end quote. And so on March 29th, 2002, they tore the old abandoned church down for good, too. Gintout wrote, quote, The demolition promptly killed any hope of restoring the historic building, an effort which had been sauntering for years without financial backing or full community support. For John Solbach, a Lecompton resident who served 14 years as a state representative in the area, the county lost more than an old church that day. A lot of history fell with that building, said Solbach, who urged the property's previous owner to leave the church standing. Those who wanted to see it preserved were heartsick that it was destroyed. End quote. Two years after that, when the destructive visitors were not dissuaded, the town erected a large chain-link fence around the cemetery, complete with no trespassing signs. But that didn't stop them either. Gintout's article continued, quote, They go under it, they go over it, they go through it, caretaker Philip Vanicola said. Just this past summer, a headstone went missing for eight weeks before being returned. The kid's mom turned him in, Vanicola said, end quote. Strangers... That's just gross. Like, why would you do that to someone? Did it really not occur to this kid that the person whose grave he vandalized probably had loved ones who would be hurt by his actions? In his 2004 piece, Gintout quoted a local police officer who said, quote, When I used to patrol out there, I would stop people and they would tell me that they were just trying to see something scary. And I told them they were looking at the scariest thing they were going to see all night and I charged them with a misdemeanor, end quote. According to Blake Smith of the Skeptical Inquirer, quote, right now in 2010, the cemetery has 13 broken headstones. 11 more are actually missing altogether, stolen by thrill-seeking paranormal enthusiasts who wanted to know, does Satan appear in the Stull Cemetery on Halloween night? End quote. It goes without saying, right, that the answer is no, the only evil that befalls the town of Stull are the looky-loos who come in and act like fools all over what should be sacred ground, whether or not you're religious. People's loved ones are buried there. They deserve respect. And here's the real kicker about this whole thing. The original story by Jane Penner for the University of Kansas student paper, The Daily Kansan, was supposed to be a seasonal entertainment piece that came out in the Halloween issue. But, get this, the newspaper ran out of paper that week, so the piece didn't get published until the following week. 
Of course, there's no guarantee that people would have responded differently to it if they'd read it as more of a fluff piece, a fun, spooky story for spooky season, instead of apparently taking it seriously just because it ran the week after Halloween. Could it be that the decades of trouble the people of Stull have endured because of this one article would have been avoided if the school paper hadn't run out of materials? It makes you think about the responsibility of people in the media, which terrifyingly, I think, includes me now, to treat stories with care. As we've heard time and time again, people have a hard time separating fact from fiction to begin with. Hell, most of the time, people don't even bother to read past the headline. Lord knows I'm guilty of getting facts wrong sometimes. I'm only human. And so is Jane Penner. By now, she must know the impact her piece had on the small town of Stull, Kansas. I looked her up online and couldn't find her. I wonder if she feels the weight of her words. I wonder if she lives with any guilt. I don't think she intentionally set out to cause any harm. Quite the opposite, in fact. She probably was just looking to entertain the readers and things spun out of control. They spun out of control because of our insatiable human curiosity toward the unknown. And what's a greater unknown than hell itself and how to get there? I was going to encourage you, dear stranger, to visit one of Stull's many other attractions if you ever have occasion to be in that part of the country, but I googled it, and aside from the many posts from people who insist on promoting this silly and unfortunate legend, there doesn't seem to be much going on in Stull, Kansas. No offense to the people who call it home, but maybe take a cue from Pope John Paul II and do your best to avoid the whole area completely. The people will probably thank you. And Lord knows the only evil shenanigans you'll miss are the local university students throwing bottles of Jaeger and generally acting devilishly. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, have you ever had a ringing in your ears? What if the ringing wasn't in your ears, but was out there, somewhere in the world, plaguing millions of other people too? And what if no one could figure out where or what in the world it was? We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Becca Gregorio and Natalie Grillo. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and researched by Jess McKillop. Our audio editor and mixer is Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Ryan Garcia, Luther Creek, Lauren Hooper, and Raymond J. Lee. Our social channels are run and managed by Amy Sapp. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. If you like our show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUpod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. 